Welcome to life on earth. Welcome to life on earth. Welcome to life on earth. You know, I don't need coffee. I think I think need is understating it. Man, jet lag. Jet lag. Welcome to Life on Earth. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to try to make this real quick, but I do have a few important insights to share with you from my trip to Japan. Amy Nacer and I just got back from Japan this past Sunday, and I want to relate some of the insights that came out of that trip and, and relate it to a few recent episodes of Five Minutes with Robert and Amy Nacer and a few of the shows on ARC UK. There will be take-home points, or go on vacation, but remember this, points. So take notes, you know, literally or just mentally. First point I need to make in regard to Japan is that, oh my gosh, the people in Japan, this country, these people are awesome. Specifically, Japanese people are just about as friendly and about as polite and gracious and apparently as hardworking as anyone you're going to meet anywhere. Now, Tokyo in particular is... It's an extraordinary place. It is, it's simultaneously Japan's capital city and it's a whole metropolis. Let's see, according to Wikipedia, it's metropolitan area of 5,194 square miles is the most populous in the world with an estimated 37.468 million residents as of 2018. The city proper has a population of 14 million people. And it's beautiful. It's just beautiful, modern, technological, and there's an extraordinary mix. Part of the great charm is this mix of tradition and modernity. There's old shrines and temples all over, and these beautiful little parks, not like parks in America where there's a lawn and benches. No, beautiful little landscaped and gardens, and, and there are wall gardens. Now, maybe Japan isn't the only place they do this, but I don't know if I've ever seen before where three stories of a skyscraper will have, well, the wall is a garden. There's a foot or two feet or a half a foot of dirt in squares and things growing. It's just amazing. And, and it's all seamlessly integrated. Skyscrapers and transit railways, the trains there are amazing. And multi-story multi-outlet retail stores and and an array of just ordinary and and some very unusual small businesses and and again the most striking thing to me the people now on five minutes with robert and amy nacer we just did an episode called how to take over the world well japan being halfway around the world from motown we're taking over that world and also we did an episode called i've seen all good people and that's one of the things i want to talk about uh, Kindred Amy is in the chat and says, Konnichiwa. Yes. <laughs> Such good people that we met. I've been listening to the Yarn Brooke show lately, and there have been a few episodes of the show in which the super chatters ask him questions like, is it time to revolt? Is it time to take up arms? Is it time to give up on the world? Are people not objectivists because they are irrational evaders, or is it because um, they're filled with hatred, they're nihilists, or just, and, and again, I, I get it, I understand, but the idea that everybody out there who's not an objectivist is evil, 
or even deficient in some substantial way, just contradicts the evidence everywhere. Go to a concert, go to a symphony, go to an orchestral concert and watch 75 good people up on the stage, most of whom are probably not objectivists. They'd be better off if they were. They could live better lives if they were. But good, good people go to stores, go to shops. Well, we'll talk about that. Now, this week while I was overseas, my co-host on the ARC UK and our series, Keeping It Real, discussing Leonard Pigoff's work, James Valiant, presented an episode entitled Internet Dating, Delight or Disaster. It was it was great. We had Jeffrey Young, the therapist, Jeffrey Young is a special guest. And Jeffrey Young made several outstanding points. One of them was related to aspirational versus actual values, values in practice. We all have aspirational values, especially objectivists. We aspire to consistently practice rationality, honesty, integrity, productiveness, justice, integrity. Did I say that twice? Pride. And to achieve our three primary values, reason, purpose, and self-esteem. This we aspire to, and hopefully we achieve that. But as Jeffrey Young noted, when people are going on dating websites and filling out profiles and then reading other people's profiles and deciding whether to swipe left or swipe right or take whatever action, some people fall into checklisting. They make a checklist of, oh, well, this person's profile needs to show that they are they practice honesty and integrity and productiveness and pride and independence and rationality. And, oh, that's six. Which one did I leave out? Will you tell me in the chat? And he made the point that judging other people by our aspirational values, but judging ourselves by our values in practice, not a good strategy for internet dating, not a good strategy in general. And so the point that we made in the episode, I've seen all good people, not only are we surrounded by miracles, miracles of technology, when I say miracles, you know what I mean, all of the achievements of a modern civilization, the division of labor society, technology and progress, things which none of us alone on a deserted island could in a million years, not just invent, but even produce. We are surrounded by miracles, not least of which is ourselves. But not only are we surrounded by all of that, we are surrounded by goodness, by orchestras and ensembles and dancers and singers. And we saw flamenco dancers in Japan uh, and athletes and professionals, business professionals and cooks and servers and retailers and service people. And we ourselves, if we see the world as full of irrational people, First of all, we ourselves need to be the change. We need to be the kind of person we want to see in the world. We need to be the hero and surround ourselves with heroes. Heroes of business and heroes of music, heroes of sports and heroes of entertainment. No, I don't mean find John Galt and Howard Rourke. Find them in the good people out there, objectivist or not. Surround yourself with heroes, even just heroes of the restaurant, the kitchen, the sales floor. Do that, and you will hardly have time to notice the people who aren't. Be the aspirational 
and you will find you're surrounded by the rest of the orchestra. So in a discussion of vacations versus productivity, and Amy and I have had this discussion with you all before, I notice all sorts of vacations in Ayn Rand's novels. Her protagonists, her heroes, and they don't just take days or even weeks off, but whole months or more off work. Dominique took the whole summer off every year to spend at her family's Connecticut mansion, which was located, coincidentally enough, near a certain quarry that her father owned. Speaking of which, one of Howard Rourke's great projects in the last quarter of the book, Monadnock Valley, is a series of summer homes. Ayn Rand is writing about vacation homes. Brings to mind this passage from The Fountainhead. This is Gail Wynand talking to Howard Rourke. You're killing yourself, Howard. You've been going at it at a pace nobody can stand for long. Ever since Monadnock, isn't it? You think you'd have the courage to perform the feat? most difficult for you, to rest? He was astonished when Rourke accepted without argument. Rourke laughed. I'm not running away from my work if that's what surprises you. I know when to stop, and I can't stop unless it's completely. I know I've overdone it. I've been wasting too much paper lately and doing awful stuff. And Wynan asks him, do you ever do awful stuff? Probably more of it than any other architect, and with less excuse. The only distinction I can claim is that my botches end up in my own wastebasket. It's a great passage. It's great the way Howard just embraces this. And Rand continues with Gil Wine and saying, I warn you, we'll be away for months. If you begin to regret it and cry for your drafting table in a week, like all men who've never learned to loaf, I won't take you back. I'm the worst kind of dictator aboard my yacht. You'll have everything you can imagine except pencil or paper. I won't even leave you any freedom of speech. No mention of girders, plastics, or reinforced concrete. Once you step on board, I'll teach you to eat, sleep, and exist like the most worthless millionaire. Howard Rourke replies, I'd like to try that. This from the author who wrote, that productiveness is one of the top virtues. You know, see also Hank and Dagny's vacation. They they take off together, leave for a long, long time, and it has to be for the plot to work out. They eventually go exploring, of course, and discover, well, they discover this, this strange old motor in a factory. And consider the protagonists of that novel taking a month off every year, each of them, in the gulch, in the valley. and. After discovering the valley and seeing what's going on there, Dagny Taggart asks our hero, what is it that you're all doing here? Living. She had never heard the word sound so real. See, one of the things that vacations do, this bit of cashing in on your productivity, this bit of time that you've bought yourself and the money that you use, that you can now enjoy spending. Vacations reinforce in a similar manner to that of art, that your life is an end in itself. So one of of the things that I, and I think everybody gets out of vacations, and I hope we can all do it consciously, you know, get the maximum amount out of it, is that experience of life as an end in itself. You need no further justification. 
it doesn't have to be that every moment is spent pursuing the next accomplishment. Now, before I go on, I want to say thank you to the folks who've joined us in the chat. Keep up the conversation. Feel free to put in a super chat. Hit the dollar sign at the bottom there and support the Ayn Rand Center UK. Your comments will stand out, which is my favorite reason to do super chats, but also it supports the Ayn Rand Center UK. My huge thanks go out to the ARC UK, both for letting me be on, but for tolerating me taking a week off last week and uh, for continuing to provide outstanding content. I've just about caught up with everything that was presented while I was gone, except I've got to watch the John Wass interview. I've been kind of waiting until I have time to really savor that one. So yes, huge shout out to the ARC UK. If you're not already a member, there's a link at the top of the chat to aynrandcenter.co.uk. Click become a member. Four different levels at which you can join, different perks at the levels, even the basic levels have all sorts of good stuff. And you're supporting an organization that richly deserves it. <laughs> Huge shout out to Jason Adams, who answered that with a super chat. Thank you very much for that. Very much appreciated. Now, I've talked about holidays before. Holidays, some people have said holidays are arbitrary. I love Hallmark holidays, for example, things like Sweetest Day and Valentine's Day. A holiday, they're not intrinsic. And that's a good thing because holidays are better than intrinsic. They are objective. And it's important. I'm going to give the short version here. It's important for you to make holidays what you want or need them to be. That you don't feel like a victim of the calendar, but that you take ownership of your calendar. When you celebrate you know, Christmas, if Christmas is a source of stress for you, change the way you're celebrating Christmas. You know, Christmas should be a value. Easter should be a value. New Year's Day should be an opportunity for fresh eyes. You could listen to my whole episode on weekends and holidays if you like, or the longer lecture on YouTube that I gave in 2013. I made the point, non-calendar holidays like anniversaries and vacations are more obviously, but just as importantly, of that kind. You need to define what these things are for you for your own ends and get the most out of them that way. If you're finding that vacations are a source of stress, man, have I been there. Pull back. Now rethink. Rethink your scope. The challenges. The finances, if that's an issue for you. If you're planning vacations with your partner or with your family, discuss with them what it is that you find challenging. And let them help you meet those challenges. Vacations. Vacation shouldn't be a withdrawal from your day-to-day. -day. It shouldn't be a withdrawal from work, but more of a reward, a dessert, something you deserve after all of your productive work. And it is an opportunity for fresh eyes. See your life anew. You see your day-to-day -day life fresh. You come back from a vacation and you can see more, a little more joy into your days even if they're long and hard and you're working constantly. And like, I remember the fast food days. I used to manage fast food restaurants. And then the IT days, I spent 25 years as an IT professional. And this was true of both, but especially back in the restaurant days when I was a restaurant manager. And there are things that happen in a restaurant, whether it's say you have to put up a temporary sign with masking tape on the wall or a light bulb has burnt out. And you noticed it, but then you kind of got used to it and you didn't get around to changing it. You just got used to it. 
after a while you don't even notice it. Or you take that taped up sign down, but there's a little bit of tape, a little bit of goo on the wall, and you'll clean that up later. And it's one thing after another that leaves something unresolved. And what happens is either you resolve it or you don't. You get used to it. You develop tunnel vision. You only see the things that need to be seen, need to be addressed right away. And then you take a vacation. And if you take some time off, or this also works if you go to a different restaurant for a while and then come back. Or you go to some other restaurant that you don't even run. And you come back with fresh eyes. All of a sudden, those things that you got used to, they stand out. And you can't believe that you didn't even see them for a while. Oh, yeah, that light bulb is still burned out. A bit of masking tape is still hanging on the window there. Vacations give you fresh eyes. They do that for more than just the kind of silly things that I'm talking about in the restaurants. They do that in the same way New Year's Day does. Gives you a chance to look at your goals and aspirations, your values and unappreciated values. Gives you a chance to look and see the things you've taken for granted about your situation, about yourself, about your own performance. You may say, oh my gosh, I've been doing really well at this. And there might be some of, oh my gosh, I've let this other thing go and I really need to pick that back up or make that happen. You know, the last time I talked about this with Amy Naser, she pointed out, you know, the boy at Monadnock Valley encountering Howard Rourke on a bicycle. That's a part of what he got. You know, he went on his bike to go into the wilderness to get away from men, just to be alone. And then he comes across this great, amazing, life-changing inspiration that tells him, yes, if he himself wants to pursue the values that he loves, composing music, putting beauty out into the world, you know, that that is something that he can do. Because now he has seen another man has done it. Another person has done it. There's a place in the world for greatness and beauty. Uh, previous vacation, we went up to, you know, we're in Motown, Michigan, the, the mitten there, and the upper peninsula. You go up where the two halves meet, and you've got the Mackinac Bridge, this beautiful suspension bridge. And I crossed that bridge, this miles-long bridge, and I think to myself, this is what people built. Seen all good people. These designers, these engineers, people of the mind, people of effort and ability, you know, workers and construction, people taking risks and, and doing amazing work. That bridge is still standing, and it is still beautiful. And it gives me fresh eyes for achievement. All good people. And I said before, the answer is yes. Secrets of a successful marriage, secrets of a successful life. Embrace, take risks. Watch the speech at the end of the film, Chocolat. The answer, for example, to vacations is yes. It's not about what we say no to. It's about what we say yes to, about what we do, not about what we don't do. We're here to live a life and not just not die. Now, because some of us, maybe all of us, we need pattern interrupts. Something that'll knock us off course, make you see things with fresh eyes. I must admit, and this goes out to a couple people who I know expressed online a similar issue that I had 
I've got to admit, I neglected vacations for much of my life. You know, working my way through life and there were things to be done and I didn't take enough vacations. I didn't take family on enough vacations. I've neglected vacations for much of my life. And I have some regrets in that regard, which is one reason why I'm glad that in addition to my wife, I also took my daughter, now 34 years old, with me to Japan. You know, among Robert Heinlein's many great quotes and quips and bits of wisdom, he wrote, another ingredient for a happy marriage, budget the luxuries first. It's taken me some time to learn how to do this, but I'm getting there slowly but surely. Now, I'm going to talk more about what makes Japan a fun, unique, charming, sometimes frustrating place on Sunday during five minutes with Robert and Amy Nacer at six o'clock Eastern time. Go to robertnacer.com for more information. But I've got to mention a few things right here and right now. For example, bullet trains and bidets. Speaking of bullet trains, since I've done a few movie reviews, bullet train. I watched it on the airplane on the way to Japan. When could it possibly be more appropriate to watch the film Bullet Train about things that take place on a bullet train than when you are going to Japan to ride a bullet train? Now, like a good mystery, it was full of plot devices and elements, which seemed random, but all of which, or at least most of which, ended up mattering. And that's really satisfying. When something happens, you're like, why the hell did that happen? And then you find out before the end of the film, oh, here's what that connected to. Several of the things that happened seemed absurd until you connected them with other things that happened either earlier or later. It was a film. Now, if you know the film Bullet Train, if you've seen the advertisements or if you've seen the film, you know it has all manner of gratuitous violence. It's one of those silly, over-the-top, violent films. But it managed to deliver at least some heart. You know, on its own terms, it was decidedly not mean-spirited, which to me, is a deal-breaker for movies. I can't describe it too much without giving substantial surprises away, so I'll just say, if you've enjoyed these kind of way, way over-the-top genre films along the lines of Kill Bill Volume 1, and if you don't have an aversion to Brad Pitt, unlike someone I know, you just might like this film. Japan is different. It has bullet trains and bidets. The former are a technological marvel. And just the plain subways are all over Tokyo, but a lot of cities and countries. Not Detroit, mind you, but lots of others have subways, you know, L's, elevated commuter trains. But high-speed rail, high-speed rail is pretty cool. Now, in that regard, speaking of the technology, I've got to jump because we've got a couple more super chats here. Uh, Kindred Amy says, earthquake-proof buildings in Japan. Japan is an island nation, and there are volcanic islands all around there, and it is super prone to earthquakes and tsunamis and other things. Being an island country and, you know, not, not a gentle island country like England. No, Japan is, it's crazy. And they figured it out a long time ago. In fact, we visited the Tokyo Tower. And one of the uh, men behind that project enlisted one of the great uh, architects and designers, and they figured out how to earthquake-proof 
structures and those design um, principles went into the kind of skyscrapers now, the kind of tall buildings that you've got in Japan. They are designed to withstand earthquakes and they have beautifully. So you're right, earthquake-proof buildings in Japan. Uh, thank you for that super chat. Kindred Amy Theme Master says, at what ratio do you balance planning with spontaneity when on vacation? It's a great question because I tend to err on the side of spontaneity and I have uh, Amy to thank for balancing that out because she's much better at putting plans together. We have, uh, call it 75-25. It's mostly planned, but plenty of room for fun too. Uh, so thank you for asking. And if I were to recommend it, it's really going to be an issue of temperament. I know people who would be miserable without having every detail planned, even though that means you risk if your schedule changes or you miss a train or something, things fall through. I know other people who want one planned item per day and the rest of it be free for exploration. And you end up doing things you wouldn't have done if you'd planned everything. Depends on your temperament. Again, for me, it works out well that it's 75% planned, 25% free. Pick your own numbers. Kind of like life itself. How much time do you spend pursuing values versus addressing threats? All those ratios can be anything within a reasonable range, but pick what works for you. James Valiant is also in with a $10 super chat. James, I'm glad you're listening because I've got to give you yet another huge shout out I know you said when you hosted last week's uh, Keeping It Real and had Jeffrey Young as special guest that you weren't as good a host as I was. You were every bit as good a host as I was. And that was a great episode. Folks, if you haven't seen it yet, go to the Ayn Rand Center UK YouTube channel and give that a look. And thank you for the super chat and thank you for the welcome home. Very much appreciated. Uh, yeah, the bullet trains, high-speed rail, 200 miles an hour in a train. It's a little strange. You know, at 80 miles an hour, you figure you might survive a train crash, but 200 miles an hour on rails? Not as likely. But the Shing, the Shinkansen, Shink, I, I was saying that earlier and it came out so easily. The Shinkansen, Shinkansen, why is that suddenly hard to say? The Japanese bullet train system boasts that there has been not one single passenger fatality or injury on board due to derailment or collision over the course of 57 years of operation. That's amazing. 57 years, not a single collision or derailment fatality or injury. Heck, not even the airlines can make that kind of claim. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> the less said about steerage class travel, uh, 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 coach class travel to Japan with its 13-hour flight from Toronto, Detroit through YYZ to NRT. The less said, the better. I, now, I know, I know you're thinking, wait, Robert, you're an objectivist, so you're obviously rich, you're obviously wealthy. Why not travel business class? So just for fun, I looked it up just before this, this episode. The price difference between traveling coach class and traveling business class from Detroit to Japan on Delta Airlines. The difference, not the price, but the difference in price was $5,200 per traveler. And there were five of us traveling. Now, just upgrading, say, the three of us who are family, wife, daughter, would have cost then an additional $15,600. Now, 
as tempting as being in business class is, I can't help but think there are better ways to spend $15,600 than, yeah, it would have been nice. That's a lot of money. So for all of its strengths, Japan is short on two things, paper supplies and trash cans. It's the strangest thing. Paper towels are a rarity in public places. If you're familiar with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that advice to always travel with a towel is very good advice in Japan. It makes me wonder if Douglas Adams got that idea from traveling in Japan. It's the strangest thing. Wet naps, wet napkins are given out at the beginning of meals and also in first and second class train travel. But just regular napkins are often not offered or the, the, these little small thin things. Bathroom tissue is also very thin, one ply. It's, it's like an afterthought, you know, because bidets. Why, why would you, you uncouth Americans wipe when you can wash? Uh, and their bidets aren't the kind of hand crank water fountain bidets that some of you may have seen or used. No, toilets in Japan, even in public facilities, are often electronic with seat warmers and ambient noise generators for those with the so-called shy bladder. Just very strange. So vacations. Vacations don't have to take weeks and they don't have to cost tens of thousands of dollars like this Japan vacation did. Just uh, the benefits of time off. The benefits of time off. Fresh eyes, fresh appreciation of your values and coming back to the work that you do, the work that you love with renewed vigor. The benefits can be had for nearly free. But whether you're planning modestly or extravagantly, I do hope you do take that time off, that time that you deserve, that you have earned, and that you do get the benefits that breaks, pattern interrupts, interrupt your patterns, and fresh eyes. I hope you get those benefits, insights, inspiration, and a visceral sense of joy, just the joy, the pleasure, the delight, the discovery, and end in itself. As objectivists, we advocate the virtue of justice. If anyone deserves to enjoy the rewards of their own good works, you most certainly, rightly, justly do. So thanks for joining me. Quick episode, no clubhouse today. Appreciate you being here. And I wish you both an enormously productive and a justly celebratory life on earth. <laughs>